Coming up on Over a Barrel. We're kind of on edge. The markets remain on edge. Gasoline markets are on edge for any possible movement. The Saudis had a thinly veiled threat. Of course, the Russians, interestingly, with some activity um, involving the Wagner CEO, uh, his plane being shot down. And there's there's always, you know, that, that level of instability now. Plus, a developing story in Louisiana with a refinery fire and the tropics are heating up. Over a Barrel starts right now. Welcome to Over a Barrel. I'm your co-host, Matt McLean, alongside the other co-host, Patrick DeHaan. And we've got a lot to discuss in this episode of Over a Barrel. Patrick, how are you? Good to be with you, Matt. I couldn't be more excited. Hey, let's kick it off. You know, we're going to be live here from Denver, hopefully going to have some terrific podcasts that we can do. Maybe some live streams out there as you and I kick off from PDI Technologies User Conference in Denver. Looking forward to it. Yeah, the boys upstairs, so to speak, thought, let's get Patrick and Matt in the same spot and hopefully they won't trouble a lot of trouble. Yeah, right? Trouble. (laughs) Here we are. Uh, And so you never know. You better tune in because you just never know exactly what uh, Patrick and I are going to do if we are in the same room. Normally, we are hundreds of miles apart and the world is safe. Uh, this time around, we are going to be feet apart and, and you just never know. Yeah, that's right, Matt. I make no promises. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So make sure to follow us on social channels at over a barrel show, of course, over a barrel, Matt and gas buddy guy. And we may have some last minute shenanigans you'll want to check out and some last minute episodes to talk about, but to your point, Matt, uh, a lot cooking uh, as we uh, enter this uh, podcast episode. Absolutely. And I'm not even promising uh, that we won't have a blooper reel. I mean, you just never know. <laughs> uh, you never know with us. It could be a lot of fun. But, you know, transitioning back to this current episode, oh, my gosh, we've got so much to talk about. Gas prices went in a direction I certainly didn't expect them to go into. I expected them to just keep moving right on up. And it looks like I was wrong. And fortunately, you're the gas buddy guy literally on x slash twitter um you are always right and so talk to us about what's going on with all of this boy i don't know if i'm always right but matt we got some lucky breaks you know uh while the atlantic is starting to get a little bit more noisy we haven't seen a whole lot of development there and the news out of china continues to lead to some concern and so the price of oil has been under a bit of pressure um and keep in mind the federal reserve now is talking about well we may not be done raising interest rates so Oil prices have been under some pressure. Matt, we're also getting to the closing innings of the summer driving season. And so that takes us to the conversation of the switch back to winter gasoline, which is only a few weeks away. And along with it, gasoline demand continues to soften. As we stand here today on this podcast episode, the price of oil at about $79.83 a barrel. That's down from the $83 to $84 barrel mark that we saw a couple of weeks ago. And that segues into your unexpected realization that, hey, gas prices have actually fallen. In fact, for for the first time in the last couple of weeks, the national average now under 380 a gallon, Matt. And in your backyard, you're getting close to seeing some sub $3 a gallon prices. Yeah, I am currently in Kentucky at the moment. I'm all over the place usually. And you know, this this past week for me, uh, driving-wise, has been somewhat quiet. I've only been in a couple of states. Uh, so I am very surprised that prices, you're right, have fallen uh, so much because during last week's episode, I was talking about, you know, I was paying $350 a gallon. Yeah. 
Some places, well, and that was in the Kentucky region in like Illinois, I paid $3.99 and that was a bargain from what I was seeing elsewhere. Now we're, we're, we're falling yeah. and I have zero complaints about that one. I think most of the, those listening to the uh, podcast here are probably in the same boat. I mean, even gas stations, Matt, love when gas prices fall. You know, that's kind of the myth that exists. People think, hey, gas stations uh, really do well when prices are going up and they love it. You couldn't believe the opposite is much more true. They like when gas prices are falling, and that's what's happened. The national average is now down six cents from a week ago. You know, uh, if you were to amplify that out and do the math, Matt, um, you're going to find out that at six cents of savings every day, Americans are spending about $25 million less collectively every day on gasoline from a week ago. So that's good news for the economy. Gas prices down about seven cents from a year ago. But, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Remember a month ago, prices were actually quite a bit lower uh, so overall, gas prices today, still about a 15 cent jump from what we saw a month ago. But to your point, a lot of places have now been starting to see some relief. So certainly some good news. Knock on wood, Mother Nature is going to qu continue cooperating. Let's make that jump over to the Atlantic, Matt. Um, we have seen uh, some of those areas of interest that we keep an eye on. We've covered this time and time again that we are now in the peak of hurricane season. And aside from Tropical Storm Franklin, which doesn't pose much risk to gas prices, there are a couple of disturbances, including one off the coast of Mexico, just south of Cancun, that could head into the Gulf of Mexico. And there's a couple other disturbances, one, boy, kind of between uh, Puerto Rico and uh, uh, the coast of Africa, and then kind of one doing its own thing in the middle of the Atlantic. So still some interesting things that we're keeping an eye on. But for now, you know, the tropics remain quiet, but more active than they were a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I tell you, the perfect case scenario for us would be you mentioned that one's kind of out in the middle of the Atlantic doing its own thing. We like those because those are the ones that actually help us cool off uh, and help disseminate some of that hotter air. And it doesn't have any impact on land or, or, or cause any major issues. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, last week, you know, different ways that hurricanes because we were talking about uh, the tropical system that was expected to impact Southern California. Well, it did. Um, mm -hmm. Thankfully, uh, nothing catastrophic or anything like that. Uh, and then we had also uh, breached on the idea because neither of us had ever seen something hit Southern California and neither has most people alive. Uh, you know, that that I had seen some things and you had seen some things that had crossed over like Central America and into the Caribbean or Gulf of Mexico. And that was somewhat rare as well. But we have had exactly uh, that happen uh, with the disturbance there that has just crossed over there uh, near the Yucatan uh, Peninsula of Mexico yeah. from the Pacific. And the forecast right now, not showing something, anything major or huge or anything catastrophic or anything like that. Of course, we'll watch it. And from Denver next week, if we need to provide any additional stuff, we'll, of course, uh, let you all know uh, if it could be impacting any kind of oil refineries or oil and rigs or anything along those lines. But right now, it doesn't look like that's the case. Yeah, and, and maybe some follow-up here is that there were a couple low-level kinks, Matt, with uh, Tropical Storm Hillary that shoved into California and dropped a lot of rain. There were some shutdowns of pipelines. Some of those are precautionary because of uh, the potential for mudslides and washout. Yeah. Keep in mind, you know, that can affect things underground. So uh, washouts can. Uh, so a portion of the Kinder Morgan pipeline um, resumed operations earlier this week. 
Uh, actually, as of uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, they said a return to service. So uh, again, you know, this is kind of a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that most people don't realize that pipelines can shut down. And we've seen it during uh, events in the Gulf of Mexico as well, that pipelines that are buried, you know, the pumping stations, they may lose power. So there's a lot of issues to think about. And Tropical Storm Hillary, though, you know, it dropped a lot of rain. There were some implications that um, hopefully... Um, are not going to be much of a big problem. So uh, we'll have to keep on uh, keep on watch for what happens in the Atlantic. By the way, Matt, speaking of last episode, we did get some real interesting feedback. Always love to hear from you. Um, if you'd like to email uh, the podcast, do so by shooting an email to podcast at gasbuddy.com. We heard from Joe with some terrific follow-up information on our discussion about, you know, the gas pump uh, nozzle shutoffs, how those work. Um, and why some of those don't work occasionally. And then again, Joe also made some comments too on, you know, a lot of people have said, if you see a tanker coming into a gas station, avoid filling up because a lot of people have this misconception that there's all sorts of, you know, particulates that get into the storage tank and they kick up sediment. Um, and Joe correctly pointed out uh, and reminded us that, uh, and I think we covered this as well, that gas stations have multiple levels uh, of filtration. Um, and again, gas stations aren't in the business of selling you, you know, sediment loaded gasoline. That would be bad for everyone involved. So Joe commented again that, um, that the temperature of gasoline when it's loaded at the rack is oftentimes warmer. And this has to do with water content because condensation can happen. And when you put that warm gasoline into a cool underground storage tank, Joe commented, typically about 14 feet below ground is where that underground gasoline is stored. That warm gasoline entering that cool tank can cause condensation. And over time, enough of that can cause uh, 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 liquid alarms to go off that measure the content of condensation showing there's water in the tank. And again, the sensor I had mentioned is a probe that Joe says has two floats on it. One float measures the gasoline or diesel and the other float measures water detection because when those alarm bells go off, it does push a station to you know rectify the situation. And that's how you mitigate uh, the potential for water entering gasoline. And again, People also think that stations water down gasoline deliberately. But just like my basement, Matt, a couple months ago when we got seven inches of rain, sometimes it's real hard keeping water out. But again, there are mitigating factors that gas stations employ to make sure that they're selling you gasoline and not water. And, and keep in mind, Department of Weights and Measures, and again, we talked about this last time too, they not only measure the volume of gasoline sold, but the quality of gasoline too. So there's a lot of government organizations, you know, bureaucracy that protects um, the integrity of what you're filling up with. So thanks to Joe for the shout out there. And, and Matt, you know, that, that piece he sent us uh, about how the nozzle clicks off was real interesting. Basically, you know, if you read the article and we'll have to post this on our over a barrel yeah. um, Twitter handle um, is real interesting how those nozzles automatically know how to click off. Um, and if you ever notice um, when you put your dispenser in the car, there's a small section of the, 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 the tube that goes into your car, um, that shuts off when it, when it becomes submerged with rising gas, that's how it clicks off and it chokes off the air pressure. And that's how the nozzle clicks off is when the flow of air is gone because your tank is full. So kind of interesting. 
That is extremely interesting. And we thank Joe for uh, sending that email. And and as you mentioned, you know, the water uh, in the tanks and stuff, uh, I, the, the simplicity of it all is that oil and water do not mix. So one would assume the water and the oil would definitely be uh, separated in the tank if uh, that condensation builds up. Probably not if, but I would say, and you correct me if I'm wrong, eventually it just kind of becomes a win situation where they, but they, but gas stations obviously want to deal with that right away. Always, always want to deal with it right away. That's why it's an alarm, right? Yeah. It, it's something that, that notifies them immediately because it's, it's kind of like my sump pump alarm in the system, Matt, right? When you detect water where it shouldn't be, you want to jump into action. You don't want to wait till your basement is flooded or a customer buys contaminated gasoline because then the cost to um, damage and mitigate, you know, any potential damage from water content, that's a liability that gas stations um, that gas stations own. So they don't want to pump gasoline. They don't want to pump gasoline that's loaded with water into your tank either. Definitely not. So yes, yeah, so we'll obviously have lots of questions and answers like that. Uh, and we thank Joe for really providing a lot of insight. Maybe one day we'll, we'll throw him onto a podcast as well. Maybe he can go in, in further depth or maybe one of you listening as well. We'd like to, to have some fun like that sometimes. So, uh, yeah. You know, so prices at this point, you are thinking, barring anything uh, weather-wise or geopolitical-wise, or, I mean, there's a whole bunch of what-ifs, but if you're waving the crystal ball, so to speak, as I usually say every week, and I need to come up with a sound effect for that, but as you're waving the crystal ball, what are you thinking is going to happen over the next uh, seven days or so? Are we going up, down, sideways? Where are we going? I think, Matt, um, I think we'll continue to see the national average drift a little sideways and, and probably a little bit more down than up, keeping in mind that any, anything can change at any time. But, you know, as I mentioned, we're getting close to the end of the summer driving season and there is some downward pressure on demand. And we also do switch back to that cheaper blend of winter gasoline. So the markets almost become a little bit of bearish gasoline markets, that is, become a little bearish going into the late innings of fall. Now, we do have Labor Day coming up, and that does usually spark a decent level of demand. In fact, uh, just a week from today is going to kick off the start to Labor Day weekend. So we might have one last hurrah. But, um, you know, I would expect that unless, as you mentioned, unless there's a major hurricane or some other development, that the national average should continue to trend a little lower. Uh, we could be three to five cents lower by, um, by Labor Day. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're kind of on edge. The markets remain on edge. Gasoline markets are on edge for any possible movement. The Saudis had a thinly veiled threat. Of course, the Russians, interestingly, with some activity um, involving the Wagner CEO, uh, his plane being shot down. And there's there's always, you know, that, that level of instability now you know, that that certainly could be um, something to watch in the weeks ahead. Will will the fact that uh, the CIA believes Russia targeted that flight, will that lead to any retribution? Will there be any, you know, uh, level of instability in Russia as a result? Keep in mind, you know, that's always on the on the subject of conversation because Russia is one of the world's largest oil producers. And what destabilizes Russia could destabilize global energy markets. So speaking of stabilization, we, as of the time of the recording of this podcast, are monitoring a refinery fire in uh, in Garyville, Louisiana, apparently a marathon oil refinery fire there. Uh, allegedly, local news reports there indicate that it was a chemical leak, leak of naphtha or N-A-P-H-T-H-A. If I'm mispronouncing that, please don't uh, uh, you know yell at me too much. But uh, they have also issued a mandatory evacuation 
elevation of at least two to three miles uh, around yeah. the the refinery as well. Really, for this topics of conversation, um, that oil refinery, as you have mentioned numerous times, there are far fewer refineries now than there were 20 years ago. So anytime a refinery suffers an issue like this, that can create a bit of a of a ripple in in supply. So talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about all of that. Yeah. So naphtha, I mean, first of all, looking at some of the pictures on social media, this does seem to be a storage portion of the facility. It doesn't seem to be the actual facility where the process is happening itself. It's not like the coker or the uh, the, the uh, fluid cat cracker. Um, this is kind of away from the main portion of the refinery. Uh, but naphtha is usually distilled into two further products. Um, it It's, you know, Naphtha is, is a, a major um, uh, uh, a major paraffin, um, and it's used in gasoline as well. It's highly volatile, uh, which is why maybe you saw some issues with it. Um, but uh, you know the issue that we're seeing right now, and and I know people see the images of a refinery on fire, and you know everyone's immediately thinking, oh, gas prices are going to jump. Oh, but, everybody panics. I mean, that's, uh, that's the reality of it. You know, it you know, it's not great to see a refinery, uh, a refinery fire happen, man. I, I know. That. I mean, Patrick, it puts a cold chill up and down my spine and I host this show with you. So I mean, it's like, oh, boy. So, I mean, well, you know, whenever you see if whenever you do see flames from a refinery, it's certainly never good news. But the good news, uh, you know, if, if there is to be any from this is that it does appear isolated from the rest of the refinery, from the refinery, the portion of the refinery that's actually churning out and and um, cracking oil into uh, into hydrocarbons. So. We'll have to see, but again, um, you know, it highlights the sensitivity. This is a large, large refinery. Um, the refinery in Garyville that you mentioned is one of the largest down there in, in Louisiana. Makes um, it better. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's 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 the third largest refinery, I believe, in the country, oh. um, with a capacity mat of over five hundred thousand barrels a day. It's well, what's massive. the worst that could happen to prices with that? I mean, well, yeah, well, I mean, well, you know, there have been some issues, Matt. And by the way, the price of gasoline's inching down, but the price of diesel's jumping because of some of the refinery issues and expected outages at refineries this fall. Now, keep in mind, after the summer, refineries are going to do maintenance because during the fall, demand is falling. They also do maintenance during the shoulder seasons in the spring between the transition from winter to summer. So some of this refinery maintenance, Matt, is likely to squeeze diesel. So while we've talked about gasoline prices possibly inching down for the next few weeks, uh, the explosive nature of what's happening is that diesel prices are probably going to rally pretty significantly. In fact, we're looking at the market today. That's exactly what's happening. The wholesale price of diesel is up over 10 cents a gallon for most of the country. And the bad news is that refinery maintenance this fall, Matt, is likely to contribute to higher diesel prices as we get closer to the peak and the start of the run on diesel supply. And and we mentioned, I think, in last week's episode that, you know, the BP refinery in Northwest Indiana started maintenance a little earlier than expected. And I had surmised or guessed that maybe part of the reason why they got into maintenance earlier was because the weakness in the price of diesel back in early August and, and even July may have spurred a decision. And as you get closer to diesel demand season um, and the start of it, diesel prices have been rallying. So it may be a, a positive decision that BP is doing that maintenance earlier so that they're able to supply diesel into a market at a time that other major refiners are planning turnarounds. And some of those major turnarounds could, Matt, lead to a big spike in diesel prices, especially in the Northeast, because two of the, I mean, first of all, the Northeast does not have um, more than 10 refineries, I think we're down to eight. 
And two of the major refineries that supply diesel in the Northeast are going to be undergoing maintenance um, later this fall. That's bad news. So if you have a diesel vehicle in the Northeast, if you have a home heating oil tank, you should expect that prices are going to continue rallying and rising for the price of diesel and don't delay on filling your home heating oil tank up. You're just a barrel of good news today, aren't you? <laughs> I'm a bear, man, I'm, a, I'm all off in that way. You know, it's not always good news. And hey, I get as excited when prices go down as they go up. Um, but, you know, it, it's not always good news. Right. A barrel is in over a barrel. Never mind. Anyway, the point it's, is it's good news what's in the barrel, especially if it's bourbon that's, that's in the barrel. Well, there is that. Yes, there's no question about that. Uh, one thing that I did want to ask you very quickly, it's kind of a sidelined question. I'm going to chase after this rabbit because I uh, had a spark of, uh, of of question mark in my mind when you were talking, as I often do, by the way. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with what you're saying, but rather it spurns my mind to start thinking of, of other aspects. I think the general consumer and myself included, uh, I am very curious about this. So take, for example, the refinery that's currently on fire in Louisiana right now. It's owned by Marathon. Correct me if I'm wrong. I often am, so it's okay. Um, is it safe to say that when it comes to gasoline, uh, BP, Marathon, all the, the, the different corporations that own different refineries and brand names, but in one geographic region, um, that Marathon refinery, basically every gas station within a you know X amount of miles, no matter what the brand name is on the sign, is basically getting Marathon-produced gasoline with their different additives in it? Or how does all of that work for distribution? Well, there's a lot of different refineries in Louisiana and Texas, and that gasoline all can end up in different places. That refinery can export gasoline out of the United States down to Latin America, and a lot of the refineries down in Louisiana and Texas do that. A lot of the time, that gasoline can get put on a barge and head over to Florida, Matt. Um, and sometimes it heads up the Colonial Pipeline to areas of, of the Carolinas and the East Coast. So, you know, there's a lot of refineries down in Louisiana, and, you know, it, it could be there's such diversity, Matt, in Louisiana that you really just don't know. Even if that refinery is so significant, you could be getting gasoline from from Shell. You could be getting gasoline from that Marathon refinery. And it's really just all about how much, um, you know, right now, let, let, let's give a hypothetical and say that refinery did go down. Now, it looks like it's only a, a storage facility. So this is a hypothetical that's not true. But if Marathon went down, their price is likely to go up because they don't have as much supply to offer on the market. And that would likely push gas stations to probably buy from a different refinery if that's even possible. So the flow of that gasoline, it probably goes all over the place. And stations may have an option on who they're buying from, especially if they buy in the open market. If they don't have a contract with anyone. So like a convenience store branded gasoline versus like a Shell Station or Marathon or how does all of that work? Well, it's, it's very complicated. Uh, some stations, especially larger ones, that may have a contract. There may be a jobber or a wholesaler mat that delivers that fuel, and they may have contracts with certain refiners to buy gasoline as well. So, you know, it, there's a lot of layers of who you're buying from. Some gas stations simply buy on the mar market with who's ever cheapest, and they don't have a contract. But there's a lot of different ways to play it. So that marathon gasoline, uh, let's, you know, say that refinery, it can end up in different places at different times, all depending on the overall condition of the market and depending on who's selling gasoline lowest, whether it's Marathon or if it's BP or if it's Shell or if it's ExxonMobil or if it's Valero, right? There's a lot of different options. Just like you and I have options on who we're going to buy our gasoline from, 
oftentimes stations will have options on who they can buy from unless unless their station says BP, then they have a contract with BP most likely. Or if they're Marathon, they may have a contract with Marathon, and that contract may last several years. So I guess from the 30,000-foot uh, kind of viewpoint, I guess my major question was Marathon ref refineries don't produce gasolines exclusively for Marathon stations only. There may be a Shell station, a BP station, or whatever that may also receive gas from the refinery, but it's their additives or detergents that would dis make it a, a distinctive difference. It would be pretty rare, though, to see another branded major gasoline supplier buying from a different brand. For example, you know, a Shell is going to buy from a Shell refinery unless there's a different contract stipulation in place. So, you know, there could be a lot of different movements happening. But generally speaking, a BP station is buying gasoline from BP. That's part of how they're allowed to use and franchise the brand is that they agree to buy from BP. So, you know, a lot of the time, Matt, the independent station is the one that may just be buying from different um, different refiners. And essentially, this is kind of an interesting point because there are two different ways that gasoline is referred to at the local rack where stations, where, where trucks are filling up. Um, refineries sell gasoline that's branded, meaning that Marathon sells both branded gasoline for sale at Marathon outlets. That mm -hmm. probably has that different additives package. And they sell unbranded gasoline, which is what the leftovers are. So Marathon produces enough gasoline to meet all of its contracts. And generally, that branded gasoline is, is tied to a contract, right? And so Marathon also very likely produces more gasoline than they have to to meet those contracts. And that's what's sold as unbranded gasoline. And that can be sold to independents. It can be sold to, you know, stations of large size that maybe aren't um, uh, affiliated with Marathon. Uh, rarely does it end up going to a shell, but it could, depending on the local market. There may not be a shell refinery, so they may have product offtake agreements. But essentially, Matt, refineries sell in two different streams, branded and unbranded gasoline. And it's that branded gasoline that always flows to a marathon station or somebody that has a big contract. And that unbranded gasoline is essentially the leftovers, um, you know, from from what whatever is left beyond what marathon is contractually obligated to produce. They sell as unbranded gasoline. And generally the price of unbranded gasoline is a little bit lower because it's kind of like the leftovers. It's just as good, but there's more competition then from other refiners on that unbranded gasoline. So it's a very convoluted, you know, system. Yeah. Um, but that's a generally very interesting. Yeah. That's a, yeah. that's a very interesting response. Cause like, you know, the city that I normally reside in, you know, I, I drive by the port, uh, more than one, you know, more than once a week. And I see the big tanks, you know, with the big brand names of marathon and BP and, you know, different ones on the outside of them. I just simply assumed that, you know, the local refinery, like for you in Chicago, there's a refinery in Indiana. I just, actually assumed uh, that refinery was owned by uh, a corporation, but they provided gasoline, geographically speaking, to a certain radius around that refinery, mm -hmm. no matter the brand name. That That's well, what made logical sense to me. And so they usually that, would. Oh, gotcha. and, and, okay. and I'll give you an example like that BP refinery we've long talked about in Northwest Indiana. They are probably one of the major suppliers into the Chicago market, but there's also other refineries. There's an ExxonMobil uh, refinery outside Joliet 
that supplies likely a similar market. There's also um, a Citgo refinery in Lamont. These are the three Chicagoland refineries, and they all hook into a pipeline system, Matt, that also supplies much of Michigan. For example, the western half of Michigan is served from those refineries because they're connected to those three refineries by pipelines. The Wolverine pipeline's the big one, and it runs up the west coast of Michigan from Niles, Michigan, up into Ferrysburg and into Muskegon, Michigan. So generally refineries are, you know, it's more likely they're refining, you know, their local geographic region. But in the case of some of those refineries down in Texas, there are very long and significant pipelines that may bring that product significantly further out of their market than what you might expect. And some of that Marathon gasoline in Garyville, Matt, that can end up all the way going to maybe places like New Jersey because of the pipelines that connect um, that refinery. You know, so they, they can be supplying an area far and wide. That is, that is. And even overseas markets, you know, some of those refineries are going to export all the way to Europe. You know, if, if there are unique opportunities, refineries in Texas and Louisiana are going to slap those, those supplies and put them on a barge um, or a product carrier. And they can go into Latin America, South America, Europe. They can even go to Asia. That's uh, also something that I did not uh, stop and think about. Yeah, it doesn't always stay within within the United States. It could actually go elsewhere. So um, there's a there's a lot there that I mean, shoot, we could create a uh, uh, a multiple podcast <laughs> if we wanted to unpack everything you're talking about. I mean, we could be talking about this for for a long time because there's a lot there. But I was just I, I you know I was just very curious about how all of that worked behind the scenes. Sure. Um. And and I think a lot of people can be uh curious about things like absolutely. That. Uh, you know, is store branded or convenience store branded gasoline versus, you know, the actual quote unquote brand names like a marathon, a BP, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's so many different ones out there. And those are certainly interesting things, Patrick. And and I know that a lot of folks have a lot of things that they can obviously have a lot of questions about. You can, of course, send those questions to us. And as Patrick has uh, talked about and we have talked about, we will be in Denver all next week. We'll be doing podcasts there live as, as well as different topics and things like that. Please send us your questions. Uh, you can send them to uh, over a barrel uh, at gasbuddy.com. Is that correct, Patrick? It's actually a podcast at GasBuddy. I mean, at so many social media channels, right? Matt. Yeah. Podcast and over at a, GasBuddy.com and Over, over a Barrel, a barrel Show. show. On, on, uh, on X, I guess we'll call it X now, formerly Twitter, as well as Over a Barrel Matt, as well as GasBuddy Guy. Uh, send us all the questions and we will do our best, especially when we've got a lot of experts in their leading fields that we may be able to snag and, and ask really quickly and, and throw them on the air, so to speak. So we'll be keeping yeah. a watchful eye on that. But that is going to wrap up today's episode. Thanks so much for joining us here on Over a Barrel. You have yourself a great one.